<clears throat> Amen. So, as we pick up in chapter 24, uh, Exodus 20, uh, the Lord had uh, given the Ten Commandments. And then, um, since then, what we've been studying is the Lord um, giving commentary and practical application of how the Ten Commandments were to be uh, carried out by the people of Israel. Um, there, there are a lot of different scenarios. If you consider, you know, the ones that we talked about last week, a couple of them, the ones that's one that's popping in my head right now. Like if you were to see your neighbor's donkey, uh, you know, uh, and it was in distress, that you would, uh, sorry, your neighbor, your, your enemy, your enemy's donkey, then your your the responsibility they were given was you need to put your flesh aside and you need to go help them. And and how that ties into Jesus telling us to love our enemies and to do good to those uh, who, um, uh, you know, will uh, persecute us and, and that, that hate us. Um, and what we see is that uh, God's love in our lives and being demonstrated in our lives is going to break down barriers. It's going to change um, situations. So God, God, uh, you know, told Israel how they're supposed to conduct themselves because they've they've been living for 420 years uh, as slaves in Egypt. So now they're free and they've got to know how to live. You know what it means to be followers of God and um, and and to be uh, God's children. You know, as as they're called the children of Israel. You know, Jacob's name was changed from Jacob the heel snatcher uh, to uh, to governed by God. So they needed to learn what it meant to live as the country that is governed by God. So God gives those the clear instructions uh, and very detailed. You know, we saw that, you know, we saw a bunch happening uh, there. So if you need to review, go back and review uh, 20 through 23. I, I know you'll be blessed. I know your, your faith will be um uh, built and and that you'll 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 grow from it. Um, but uh, the summary of it is 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 God had uh, given the Ten Commandments and then He was explaining more of what that means. What it, what does it mean to apply this to your life, um, where you're supposed to be walking, uh, you know, according to God's standard. So uh, that's where we're picking up in in 24. Uh, now the Lord has has finished giving those instructions. Uh, to uh, to Moses, and uh, when we see here in in verse one, it says, "Now uh, he said to Moses, he being God, said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him." So. Uh, now God is calling Moses to lead the others uh, closer to him. So he's saying that that uh, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders are to come, uh, come closer to God, uh, but they're to worship God from afar, and uh, that, that um, Moses was called to uh, go near to the Lord, and only Moses could go near, you know, um, Understand that that God is the one that sets the standard regarding how He will be worshipped. Um, I I think it's uh, that's kind of an unpopular thing to say uh, in today's world, where everybody says, "Hey, I have my own relationship with God," or "I have my own religion. I kind of come up with my own thing, and you do you, I'll do me, and and we'll go from there." And you might find some opposition 
if we say something like, I love you too much to let you go on with that lie. <laughs> you know what I mean? We don't have to be like, oh, you're an idiot. You don't know anything about the scripture. You don't. That, that's just going to be lopping off ears. But if we, if we want to approach somebody um, because we know the truth, we can't uh, you know, suppress the truth and, and, say, and act as though we don't know the truth. We're, we are called to, to share the light that we have. Uh, and, and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we know that somebody is is way off and we're having that conversation with them and they have the opportunity to be able to share and say, well, well, you know, according to the Bible, uh, you know, God calls us to worship uh, you know, him in spirit and in truth. And and what does that mean? And start talking to them about, you know, what truth is and what it is to worship God in our spirit and and those types of things. And, you know, there, there's a lot there that we can really, you know, can it can build up quite a big conversation. But the Lord is establishing who can come near him and, and uh, who needs to stand afar off. We know now that because of uh, Christ's work on the cross, we can come near to God. Uh, so that's the, that's the blessing, isn't it? You know, these guys had to stand afar off. And, and a lot of them are like, yeah, we'll stay away, right? We saw that happening. After the Ten Commandments were given, everybody's like, "Can we leave now?" You know, it's it's there's there's lightning, there's thunder and clouds, and um, there's a lot going on, and everybody, everything's shaking, and, and everybody's like, "I, I want to get away." And and God is here calling Moses even closer to Him, and that's a, a great great uh, blessing to see here. You know, so we we come to God based on His terms. He is the one uh, that establishes those things, and and we have to just obediently follow him uh, verse 3 so Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments and all the people answered with one voice and said all the words which the Lord said we will do now this is quite a bold statement but uh, you know they were all in agreement and they answer here as it says within one voice with one voice they're saying this makes sense you know what, what you're saying uh, makes sense the Ten Commandments uh, and the explanation and how they apply was acceptable to them. And, and they're affirming their willingness to go along in this, uh, this um, God, with God's commandments and his covenant with them. So uh, that, that special agreement that the Lord has with them is, hey, if you're going to call yourself my people, this is how you're going to conduct yourself. So they're affirming that they're ready to move forward. And uh, they'll now be held accountable uh, for what they've been presented. You know, it's it's uh, we can't necessarily uh, hold many accountable for things that they weren't aware of uh, as sin. But as soon as we're we're uh, we're told that something is sin, then you're accountable to it. Right. Uh, so somebody who has grown up without the gospel, they haven't learned um, anything about God. Some of these the things that we know from practicing our faith, being in Bible study, uh, you know, two, three times a week. And in our own uh, that's corporate Bible study and then our own personal Bible studies we're having and maybe the men's study or the women's study or way of escape and you know the all the the different things that we have going on within our fellowship um, you know we have these things we learn more and we understand that that with the knowledge we have we're also accountable more um, you know that's why when you look in James it says you know not many should you know strive to be teachers knowing that you're gonna face a stricter judgment you know you're, you're going to we're, you're held to a different standard Really, so so what they're be, what they're being told of is God's standard, and now that now that they they've they've heard it, they understand it, and they say yes, we're willing to. We you know they're affirming that they're willing to move forward with it. They're now accountable to it. 
So, um, you know, as these things are being, you know, uh, told to them, they, they seem practical. They seem to make sense. And we've discussed that as a church, as we've been studying through, that there, there's nothing overwhelming about the Ten Commandments. But then there's our sinful nature that doesn't want to obey any of them, right? We don't want God to be our God, right? But our sin doesn't want to. The sin that resides within us wants us to serve ourselves. And we want ourselves to be our God or something else or somebody else, you know. But but what are we called to? We're called to serve the creator of the universe. So so even uh, the, you know, don't don't lie. Right. If we just take somebody. OK, let's say don't steal. Right. Don't steal. Right. So so we might get down like, hey, I might really, really, really want that. And I might have a really deep desire, sinful desire to take that. But I'm not going to take it. But we've now failed. Because we're covetous, right? So we're looking at what somebody else has been blessed with or somebody else has in their life. And if that is our, our deep desire and a deep, a deep sinful desire for it to be ours instead of theirs, that's covetousness. So so there's there's our sin that, that resides there. All these things make sense. And uh, when you look at them on paper, now if you consider uh, like a sports game, you can look at the undefeated team against a team that hasn't won anything and go, why are they even going to play the game? Because on paper, it looks like this, right? But the outcome can be very different once they get together. That's why they play the game, right? So we can understand things that you know, necessarily on paper may not make sense. Um, but when they're, they're uh, it, it seems, sorry, it may make sense. Um, but when you, uh, when you start looking at things and how they play out, uh, then we understand this is why. <laughs> right? this, is, this is why God says these, because he knows us so well. When you're reading through these chapters after God gave the Ten Commandments and you're going, well, this seems like it would make sense and everything. No, God knows our our instincts and he knows our sinful hearts so well that we need to hear like, hey, that guy that hates you, if you see that he's in need, you see his donkey or you see his car rolling down the street or, you know, somebody stole it or whatever. Or you have the opportunity to get it back to him. God is telling us to do the right thing. Right. You know, so so consider uh, that God knows the innermost parts of our hearts and our rebellion that we're like, hey, you know what? I don't like that guy anyway. So <laughs> I don't care if he loses his car or his house or or whatever it is. Uh, it's it's easy for us in our sinful nature um, to agree with something when it seems to make sense, but the actual application can be much more difficult. Um, so we see uh, that the the Lord, when when the Scripture describes the law being a tutor, it's it's uh, the law is here to to show us our, our sinfulness and our need for a savior. The law is perfect. You know, there's nothing wrong with the law. You can look at the law and, and it's God's law. God's law is perfection, right? And Jesus came and fulfilled God's law. So we can't look at God's law and say, oh, it's flawed. No, we're the flawed ones, right? Not God's law. But we, when we understand it's a tutor to drive us to the Lord, you know, the the practical sense of the Ten Commandments and and uh, where our heart starts wrestling with sinful desire and uh, we get to the point where we're like, oh, I failed like four of those today, right? We can get into those and be like, man, I failed here, 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 and here, right? And, and just because we have a sinful nature. But but these people are, are, are coming to the point uh, where they're saying all the words which the Lord has said we will do. Uh, they They had agreed and with one voice they said these things. You know, when we look at the, the summary of the law, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors ourselves, uh, that's, it's, it seems very simple. 
but but we make it difficult because we're sinners, and uh, you know we we mess everything up. You know, if you're ever looking for the perfect church where there aren't people who sin, um, if you find it, leave, <laughs> right? <laughs> because you're gonna mess it up, right? I can tell you right now that perfect church does not exist, right? It just it just doesn't. Where you're not gonna find somebody who's a sinner within those doors. You know, if if we uh, deceive ourselves and say that we're not sinners, then uh, then we're going to be hypocrites. You know, so whatever it is, you know, as things go, should we accept our sin? Absolutely not. But uh, just understanding that, that, you know, when we get to this mindset of all the words which the Lord has said we will do uh, and we fail, we have a faithful God uh, that is ready and willing to forgive us when we come to him as repentant sinners and say, God, I've failed you right here. And he's so, you know, if you consider First John uh, one, uh, 1 nine says, you know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right. Isn't that the blessing? You know, that's that's one of my favorites right there. If not my favorite verse in the Bible. You know, if we confess, he's so faithful and just faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Right. He's faithful. He hasn't turned his back on us. But just you think of the just. The, the perfection of God. The, way, the reason he can forgive us is because of the blood that was shed for us by Jesus Christ. So he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins because of what he has done uh, for us. So the Lord is so gracious, so faithful, and uh, loves us very much. And we can, um, we can go to him even when we do fail. Even we can make that declaration. Everything God has said I'm going to do <laughs> usually doesn't take long for us to realize, oh, I nosedive right there. You know, so it is what it is, right? Verse 4, <clears throat> and Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and uh, sacrificed peace, peace offerings uh, of oxen to the Lord. So uh, what is wonderful here, if you look back at verse 4, Moses got to write all the words of the Lord. He got to sit down and write down what God said. Um, we can easily read over that and, uh, and not understand what that means. And we're going to get into that here a little bit further in our, in our study here. But uh, when we understand that, that Moses is writing down the words of God. Now, uh, the, the, the cynic is going to come out and say, ah, yep, sinful man writing. No, what it says here is that he's writing all the words of the Lord. Right. So God told him what to say and he copied those down. And he rose early in the morning uh, and is establishing corporate worship for everybody here. So uh, the, the, the power, uh, what a wonderful thing we see that Moses was writing down the words of the Lord. And here we are blessed thousands of years later reading what he wrote down. You know, isn't that great to see the, the obedience, uh, how his obedience blesses us. And it teaches us more about God and our relationship with, with God because he was an obedient man. So uh, now he is uh, setting up uh, the, the altar uh, at the foot of the mountain, the 12 pillars, one for each tribe. And then he sent out young men. The priesthood had not yet been fully established. Or, and so uh, this is, uh, they're acting as priests. 
uh, to offer burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. So these young men uh, had a special detail and service to God um, uh, that uh, that they were uh, entrusted with by Moses. Now I like here that it says that they were young men, and uh, you know consider uh, what we may hear and what we may deceive ourselves uh, into believing that that we're either too young or too old to serve God. Neither of those are true, and or we might be in our middle aging, be like like me, 44, uh, might be right there going, am I too late <laughs> or am I too young or what's going on? You know, I just stepped into this pastor role here. I've been serving as a pastor here for many years, but as the senior pastor here for a year. And I'm like, well, am I a little too late in the game? And I'm seeing these guys, you know, they're 25 starting out. And then I'm seeing these other guys. Like, what does that mean? God doesn't care about our age. <laughs> you look through the scripture. He does not care about our age. He cares about our obedience to his word. And he's going to use us. If we're starting to qualify, whether we're too old, too young and everything, then we're putting God in a very small box. And we're saying God can only use people that fit into this box. <clears throat> and we're limiting in our own mind what God can do. We're not actually limiting God, but in our own mind, we're robbing ourselves. We need to understand. Look at Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna, they're serving God. When you think of, of, of Anna, for 84 years, uh, you know, she's been it, just serving the Lord. You know, she loves the Lord. You know, her husband died, and what did she do? As a widow, she went and she just served God, night and day in the temple. That's what she did. That was her life. And she got to see Jesus Christ before she left. And we are talking about her 2,000 years later. Just somebody who loved God enough to serve him. You know, Simeon was promised that he that he wouldn't die before he saw the Messiah, and he saw the Messiah. Old man serving in the in in the, in the temple in the church, right? Consider Jesus, twelve years old, astonished. This is all in Luke chapter two. All three of these things, Luke chapter two. Consider Jesus Christ, twelve years old, astonishing all the religious leaders with his knowledge. Guys, we can't put God into a box. We just we have to understand. That, that uh, you know, he had something for old Moses to do, and he had something for the younger men to do. Just realize the Lord the Lord uses us wherever we are, and, and as we're uh, willing tools uh, for him to use, he's going to use us. You know, if we, we may look back at our life and go, I messed up so much. How could God use me and my family? You know, I, I'm now X years old, and uh, my kids are out of the house. Or my grandkids are even out of the house. Or my kids are in high school. What can I do? Or this person. I don't live in my house. I can't minister to my mom and dad like I, I should be able to. Whatever it is. Ask God to redeem that time. To just say, Lord, I, I know I've missed it. I know I've messed up. Can you use the time that I have left and use me powerfully for your, for your glory? He will. Just he's going to use us wherever we are, as long as we are being obedient to him and we are, uh, you know, just willing servants of him. Verse six is, and Moses took half the blood and put it in the in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do. And be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled 
it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made uh, with you according to all these words. So the blood of the offerings and sacrifices, uh, sacrifice peace offerings, is now being distributed. Half um, went on the altar and half put on basins. And then from there with the basins, he uh, sprinkled it on uh, the book. of. Uh, what we'll see here uh, is uh, we get a glimpse into a little bit more commentary in Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verses nine, uh, 19 and 20. They say, For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats, with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. You know, that God sprinkled the book and the people. That's, this is quite a, quite a thing here. Um, you know, they had worshipped and sacrificed, and now they're continuing to worship, right? So we've talked about this. We can consider... Um, singing songs to the Lord. We'll say, well, during worship, this happened. But what we're doing right now is an act of worship. But we often, it's not, I'm not going to correct you. I understand what you're saying. If you say, hey, during worship, what song did we do? You know, I, I know what you're saying. But but when we compartmentalize worship, we, you know, everything from when we walk in the door, the fellowship is worship. As we're fellowshipping in his name, that's worship. You know, because we're, we're gathering in his name. And then when we pray, and then when we're sit, when we're singing and we're we're diving into the word, those are all parts of worship. So when we consider what they're doing, they they uh, had uh, spent this time uh, in the word, and then now Moses is now sprinkling them and the word. So it's it's quite a a thing to see here that they're continuing worship by spending time in the word. So the the offerings were made, the sacrifices were made. And then they continue worship by spending time in the Word. So what we're doing right now is worshiping. This is an act of worship as we're just getting into His Word. That's an amazing and powerful uh, thing for us to be able to experience. So uh, the Word of God is being read in the hearing of the people uh, and everyone's gathering, adults and kids. And, and again, they affirm their willingness. What it says here, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. Right. So they're saying this is good. <coughs> Excuse me. They're making the affirmation that they'll go along with what is said um, in the covenant that God is made, has made with Israel. So it's quite a statement, quite a thing for us to look at is they're literally having a Bible study and uh, we, we get to look back on it and see how powerful uh, it was. So the blood is sprinkled, the blood of the covenant. Leviticus 17 verse 11 says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar uh, to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So when we consider what's what's happening here, there was, there was something that died uh, here uh, as a symbol of atonement for them. So uh, when we consider these, uh, these things that we're looking at, uh, the importance of the word the blood and the people. Uh, so there's they're they're gathered around the word, and then there's the sprinkling of the blood. And what we like we said uh, in that verse in Hebrews, would you mind pulling that uh, back up again? Um, Hebrews nine uh, verses nineteen through twenty. And and when we what we see here is when it says for when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, 
he took the blood of calves and goats uh, with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. Uh, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. So when we when we understand these three things that are that are uh, kind of the, the the topic of discussion here, the importance of the word, the blood, and the people. So all the people people received the blood, and the covenant uh, is now sealed. So uh, when when there was a covenant made between two people, when they would make a covenant, they would split the uh, the sacrifice of the animal in half, right? And they'd walk through it. Uh, when you consider that, you know, so now what we see here is uh, the the people of Israel uh, are are uh, sealing the covenant they have with the Lord. Now, uh, Clark, a late 1700s, early 1800s Bible scholar, had this to say. Half of the blood being sprinkled on the altar and half of it sprinkled on the people showed that both God and they were mutually bound by this covenant. So God was bound by it and the people were bound by it. This is, this is quite a thing for us to look at. There's a deal being made by God, this covenant, right? Uh, this this sacred covenant, the sacred deal that's being made, and uh, the sprinkled blood on the altar and on uh, the people, uh, it shows that both God and the people were mutually bound by the co the covenant. I like that that insight that uh, has been shared down through centuries uh, from Clark. So now, as Christians, we understand there's a new covenant that's offered uh, through faith in Christ. So when you consider this, Matthew 26, 28 says, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So there's a new covenant with God in Christ. So uh, we see the old covenant and, and how that was being established. The new covenant uh, is in Christ. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 22 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There, look at that, right? As New Testament believers, our hearts, as they were sprinkled with the blood, our hearts are sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and that, that sprinkling of the blood of Christ, what does it say? Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed by, with pure water. That's what we have available to, in, to us in Christ. It's an amazing picture of, of grace and mercy that God has for us. So God, God's word establishes the contents of a covenant. And uh, we see that the sacrifice was made, the life was poured out to pay for another's. And God's words received by faith. And uh, we receive the sacrifice just as they did. His blood sprinkled on our hearts. And then we receive the sealing of the Holy Spirit uh, because of our faith in Christ. There's a, just a wonderful thing for us to realize what you know that, that's a that's a wonderful covenant that's established and and look at our covenant that we have in Christ
So what we're what we're seeing here as we're transitioning and about to run into uh, verse nine here is God's promise from Exodus chapter six verses six through eight is now about to move into its third phase. The first phase uh, was God redeeming His people, and that was we can see that in Exodus chapters one through eighteen. Uh, the second phase was God taking them to Himself, Exodus uh, nineteen. Uh, through 24, and now we see that he's about to come and dwell with them, and that will be Exodus 25 through 40, uh, and we'll pick up verse uh, chapter 25 next week. Uh, but it's it's interesting to see as we're studying through what's a what these these phases that have taken place, right? What I like I I just said, God redeemed His people, uh, first 18 uh, chapters, and then 19 through 24, God took them to Himself. He's about to come and dwell with them. So Exodus 6, verses 6 through 8 says, Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you. So there's the first phase, with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Uh, second phase right here, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Uh, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So uh, there's a, a wonderful uh, progression uh, taking place here that, that we've uh, been watching and studying through. Verse 9 says, Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. Just reading that gives us goosebumps, right? Uh, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. They, so they saw God and they ate and drank. So uh, after ministering to the people, Moses, uh, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and, uh, and the, the elders uh, now sought God by themselves as he commanded them. And uh, it's a wonderful example of leadership spending time with God to properly uh, be able to lead. So uh, let's look at what this says. It says that they saw God, um, you know, coupled uh, with uh, under his feet, it says, uh, sapphire stone like pavement. Um, what did they see? We don't know. But when we consider other uh, verses from the scripture, we, we can come to uh, a pretty cool conclusion that I think they might have seen his feet. <laughs> they, that's about it when uh, when they saw God or the just the glory of the Lord because what we see in verse 10 it says uh, that the sapphire stone was like uh, the the very heavens uh, in its clarity now, now that's the pavement that they saw right so that's the paved work was the sapphire stone and that's all that can be described <laughs> right so that's why I believe they just had their faces down when they're when they're brought in uh, to the uh, the presence of the Lord, consider some verses here as we're we're trying to uh, decipher what was happening here. Ezekiel chapter one verse twenty six says, "And above the firmament, over their heads, was the likeness of a throne, 
in appearance like a sapphire stone on the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. So look look at what it says here. Above the firmament of uh, over their heads was the likeness of a throne in appearance of a sapphire stone. Okay? Now consider Revelation 4, verse 6. It says, Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. So consider what is being described here. The sapphire stone. Okay, that was mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 1. And then when we see, uh, and we know that that sapphire stone, based on what we see here in Exodus 24.10, says that it was like it's like the heavens in its clarity, very clear, like sapphire stone. And then we see the description from Revelation 4. This is before the throne of God was a sea of glass like crystal. Okay, so that's, that's why I am led to believe what they saw of God was his feet. Or what is at his feet. Okay. If you got a different opinion on that. Great. I'm not going to make a dogmatic stance on it. But um, when we consider uh, what is being described here. When you couple that with other uh, scriptures. Within, uh, other verses within the scripture. Then I'm led to believe what what he what they saw. Uh, was uh, where where God's presence was. Like the, the, the foot of his throne. Um, so, something along those lines. So we don't know. But it's, it's really neat. Uh, what we do here is under his feet, um, as it were, uh, sorry, and under, uh, and there was under his feet, as it were, paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. That's all they can come up with. That's all Moses writes down, was what was under God's feet. So that if you want to consider that, I, I, I think... Um, there's a pretty good argument for uh, for what I was sharing with you. Seems that uh, none of them had looked up, but they were keeping their face down. Another reason I believe that is if, uh, and it will come up here, Exodus three verse six, um, when Moses is uh, at the burning bush, it says, "Moreover, he, God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, Isaac, and the God of Jacob." And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. I think these guys were probably hiding their face, <laughs> really, you know, in an irreverent way. Not like my dad used to tell me, go hide your face, right? This was a reverence, right? They were afraid to look up, right? And uh, when when they would, um, when, uh, so I, I just believe that, you know, what, what about, what an experience, right? You know, to have an experience like seeing the floor of the throne room of heaven. You know, we've sang that song, Better is One Day in Your Courts. Uh, that, that indescribable, you know, um, when when heaven has has in the scripture been like it, it would be unlawful for me to try to describe what I'd seen, you know. And uh, and so these guys had seen such a, a wonderful thing. And I like here that it says that they saw God and they ate and drank. Um, I, I wonder if there was a conversation. If, if there was, what was the conversation? Did you see like. Could you believe like the, what you'll never forget this. They'll never forget uh, being able to see it. Can you believe that? We know that Moses later on here uh, in, in our study and we'll get there, but we're going to do a sneak peek uh, from Exodus uh, chapter 33 verses 18 through 23. 
Um, and uh, this is where God meets with Moses. And Moses asks God to see his glory. This is a wonderful thing uh, to consider. But I think it, it provides a good um, commentary for some uh, keeping some good context for us here. Uh, verse 18 says, And he said, Please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, and my face shall not be seen. So when we consider what did they see, when we consider just you know a little while past this, God is saying, you can't see my face. Uh, you can see the back of my glory. So I'm convinced that what they saw was... Um, was the foot of the, the, the throne room of God, uh, whatever it was, was amazing. What's awesome for us, uh, uh, that, that we are uh, New Testament believers, uh, that you know when we consider here uh, 2,000 years after the New Testament was completed, you know, we know that if we've seen Christ, we've seen the Father. Uh, so this is, this is uh, quite a quite a deep thing to get from this is is where all we all we see here is that they saw god, the god of israel but what does that mean and we've looked at several verses here but when we consider you know for us we may be like because you know when we consider you know what happened when philip said show us the father uh to to jesus so we'll look at a few things here uh john chapter 1 verse 1 uh says uh no one has seen god at any time the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. John chapter 14, verses 8 and 9 say, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Philip's like, hey, Lord, will you just show us God, and then everything will make sense and everything? And look at Jesus' response to that. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has uh, seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Right? So Jesus says, um, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Lastly, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says, For in him <coughs> excuse me, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Jesus Christ. If we want to know who God is, what he looks like, who we, you know, what, what are his mannerisms, all those things. If, if we want to have a conversation with somebody, I um, recently, just this week, have watched a few YouTube videos of people ministering to people. And um, I, I saw some, uh, and I'll, I'll share them here in a little bit, uh, a little bit more of another one. Uh, Mark and I were talking about it here before church and, and Tom too. Uh, but I, I, it's amazing to see what people do uh, when somebody is just in public sharing the gospel. Um, you know some of the reactions that 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 can come. Some uh, are are legit and uh, sincere, and others are just violent or 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 just hostile. 
So, so consider the things that can come from just preaching the gospel, just sharing things. But one of the questions was, well, where is he now? You know, okay, 2,000 years, where's he been for the last 2,000 years? What's he doing? He's already done it. God has nothing to prove to us. <laughs> he has absolutely nothing to prove to us. Is he the genie that we have to keep pulling out and be like, prove yourself to this person. Prove it. The proof is in the word. Right, And we can show them in the Word and go right here and say, if you want to know who Jesus is, you want to know who God is, let's look at Jesus Christ. And you can explain, you know, when Jesus says that uh, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Okay, let's dive into Jesus Christ. The full, and, and, and you can go to Colossians 2. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything. That's another conversation. But when we can share who God is, what his mannerisms are like, be able to just share those things, that we can know God, we can see God. Uh, you know, Old Testament, there was this separation. You can't see God. And then we can look in faith and see God and understand who he is. And, and, and what, what's, what's his personality? You know, what's he like? And when we, and we just look at Jesus Christ and like, that's exactly what God is like because he is God in the flesh. What an amazing uh, you know, advantage we have. Verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. And I will give you tablets of stone and the law and the commandments, which I have written that you may teach them. So Moses called uh, to go up to the Lord, and uh, he's to go up and be with him. Now that in and of itself is awesome. And it says that he will be given tablets of stone with the law and the commandments written on them. So what that means is that God wrote them in stone, etched them in stone uh, with his own finger. That's that's quite an amazing thing here. Now it's etched in stone. You ever heard that? It's, it's etched in stone. What does that mean? It means like, you can't take an eraser and change it, right? It's been etched in stone. So God's, God's law, God's uh, what God demands from us is, you know, be holy, for I am holy, right? That That's etched in stone. <laughs> God's commandments are etched in stone. They don't change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not like we can just, like, you know, uh, you guys remember the old typewriters? You remember typing, da, 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 and you had to kind of watch everything you're doing. You're like, oh, man, I missed that, right? The, and you're going, T -t 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 -t, right? And you're, you're hitting it back, and then you, the ribbon runs out. and You, you know, all of those things, you know, the, the, the convenience we have of just being able to, oh, well, I can fix this, I can fix this, and I can change this if I want to. We don't have that ability when it comes down to, to God's law and what God uh, is calling uh, his children to. You know, it's not easily corrected um, like hitting backspace on a computer, which we love today, right? We don't have to worry about trying to line or you find the problem after, right? Remember finding the problem after you've taken the piece of paper out and you're like, oh, now I got to line it up right and I got to spin the thing. Like even even then it was hard to go through and, and, and to fix. So God has written the command, the law and commandments on stone. So it's pretty neat when we look at this. God wrote his word so that Moses could take them and use them to teach the people. God gave his word so that the people could get, get taught the word. That's quite a, a, an interesting, and that's a deep conversation in and of itself, uh, when you consider uh, how biblically illiterate the church is today. Just on like some of the 
the most basic of things that we look and go, no, that seems to to uh, really be um, kind of one of those things that uh, uh, would be uh, pretty easily understood, and there wouldn't be much um, confusion with that, right? Um, and uh, but yet the church uh, is is missing so many um, so many big points. Another thing to consider on this is God wants his word taught and he wants his word known. Um, that's an important thing to understand. <clears throat> you know, when, when we can say, yeah, I've got a Bible, but if it's just collecting dust, then great. <laughs> you know, it's just like having another tool that uh, that's going to you know, make things easier for your life. But I mean, more so, obviously. But if we have what we need in life, I'm like, yeah, I have it, but I'm just not going to use it, right? I mean, if you if you say, hey, you know what, uh, tree fell down in the yard, um, I'm going to go get the old handsaw and I'm going to cut the tree, right? We have chainsaws, right? <laughs> you know, we don't have to do like they had to, you know, back, you know, they got two people, one on each side with the big saws, and some of them would take days, you know, for them to cut through and you know consider all the work that's there. That those things that can change lives and make things different. God wants the church to, to be taught the word and to know the word. Uh, those are, are, are very powerful things to consider here that the word of God is being given and he wants it taught. So uh, when we consider the scriptures, we need to understand that this, all scripture is inspired by God. Um, some were written, as we see here, by the very finger of God, um, the creator of the universe, and the rest written by Godly men as he spoke to them. Second Timothy chapter three, verses 14 through 17 say, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and be assured of knowing from whom you have learned them and that from your childhood, you have known the Holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Think of the importance of the word of God. God was etching his word in stone so that Moses could use it to teach the people. That's a powerful thing that we're seeing there. And we see the importance of the word of God. You know, when, when uh, actually Oliver even, even touched on it uh, on Sunday morning, uh, when you consider Isaiah uh, 55, when God was saying that his word goes out and accomplishes his will, it does not come back to him void. God, God's word, when it's, when it goes out, when it comes forth, when God tells us to speak something, it's going out and doing work. We don't know when we're going to see the fruit of that work, but it's going out and doing it. It's not our responsibility uh, to, to respond to the word that we send out. It's our responsibility to live that word out and to speak that word, though. Perfect. I like that. Verse 16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture. All scripture. Not just some, all of it is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And, and it lists all those things that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That, that's awesome that we have the manual. 
Right? Everything that we need is consistent in, uh, uh, consists inside the Word of God. It's every answer for anything we're ever going to go through, any question we ever have. God is going to answer it through His Word. So when the question gets asked, well, why can't He reveal Himself to us? He has. It's in black, white, and red. It's right there. And we can share that in love, right? We're not going to talk down to Him. But in love, being able to share. I watched a, a video last night. It was an hour long, and I never thought I'd make it through, but I wanted to watch it all. So I watched it all because it was just one of those things. This guy's ministering at a pride festival in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. I, uh, was it Phoenix? No, it wasn't Phoenix, Arizona. I don't remember where it was. Uh, maybe I should know that. But anyways, uh, they're in Kentucky. It was in Kentucky. And um, this man standing on the sidewalk uh, is standing outside a bank, which was uh, the bank was rented out for the Pride Festival. And uh, so they have this space. Uh, and this man, uh, young man, he's probably in his 20s, I think. And he uh, is just lovingly sharing the gospel. And uh, there were some pretty predictable responses uh, to these. And there were some other ones, <coughs> excuse me, that really, really um, surprised me. Not not that I was shocked that somebody could have this, but but that she didn't understand how blind she was. Um, and this was a professing Christian of decades. No, I study, she said, I am a Christian. I have been in church all my life, and I study the words of Christ, and I follow the words of Jesus Christ. I'm like, okay. And then she goes and she says, when did Jesus ever condemn homosexuality? When did he ever speak to the LGBTQ? Okay, that, that's that's something uh, that this guy, and, and as we should, this guy lovingly speaks to her. He doesn't look at her and say, blah, 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 blah. He just lovingly and patiently waits for her and then says, and then goes and starts explaining scriptures. And he goes, all scriptures inspired by God. And then he starts quoting, it's funny because he quotes the Old Testament. And, he's, and she said, I'm not a Paulian. She, I'm, I don't follow Paul is what she's saying. And so he's like, He's, I mean, this lady's just like double barrel at him, okay? And he's just being very patient, very loving, as we should be with somebody when they're having these things, right? We want to be able to, to share them. And we, we're not called to take the sword out and just chop them in half. That's not what we're supposed to do, right? So what he does is he goes and he explains from the Scripture. And he says, this is what the Scripture has to say. All Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is God-breathed. You know, and, and she's just kind of stepping back. And, and what she's saying is because Jesus did, Jesus, there's a lot that Jesus didn't, uh, of, of specific sin that Jesus didn't address. Very specific things that you can look, well, well he never talked about stealing motorcycles, so I guess it's okay, right? Come on. You know, that when, when people want to get there, <clears throat> it's because in our sinfulness, we want to be able to exclude what we want uh, from something that's uh, uh, that's forbidden or uh, that's spoken against in the scripture. So I was just amazed that this woman would take the approach of saying she only follows the words of Jesus Christ. And that's it. And if that was true, that would be, I guess, okay. But when we consider that all scripture is inspired by God, then what she's saying is the Old Testament doesn't mean anything, and any of the New Testament outside of the four gospel accounts don't mean anything. Her theology is greatly flawed just in that. Not even when you when you you know take the the sin that's being addressed. And this guy did a great job of just sharing, guys. 
I'm a sinner just like you. I was delivered from these things. And he's going and saying, I struggled here, I struggled there, and, and all these things. But when it came to being challenged on the word of God, he shredded her so politely, you know, and, and, and was able to just say, well, okay, well, it, 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 just being able to share those things uh, with her was, it was wonderful. You know, and the question was, 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 where did Jesus say that? So if we think all scriptures inspired by God, well, let's look at what the word of God is. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was, ma <clears throat> that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Skip to verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If this woman wants to challenge Jesus' words, say, okay, well, according to the scripture, the whole Bible is Jesus, <laughs> right? The word, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. So if you want to challenge the word, then you're challenging Jesus, <clears throat> It's quite a statement there. Verse 13. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. So Moses and Joshua, and we see Joshua described as his assistant. So here's the current leader and, and who will be his successor. Joshua will be the one that will lead the children of Israel into the promised land. They go uh, up to the mountain of God in verse uh, four. So there's the separation, like God said in the beginning of the chapter, that Moses himself will actually draw nearer to God than the rest of them. And verse 14, and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and her are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. So before departing, Moses informs the elders who's in charge, and it's Aaron and her, and this is not going to turn out good. Uh, if we've already read ahead, spoiler alert, uh, Aaron and her do not do a good job. They do the worst job uh, that they could have done, and it ends up really bad. We'll get into the failure uh, and how it built here in a few weeks, but ultimately uh, the people immediately forget everything about God and reject uh, God's word and uh, reject him within 40 days. They're all meeting saying, yes, we're all on board. We're going to do these. We're going to obey. 40 days later, this is the response. And, and, and we'll get into it. Uh, and uh, they had just said that they're agreeing to those things. So Aaron and her uh, end up molding a uh, golden calf and the people dive into idolatry and pagan rituals. This is like a month and 10 days, guys. <laughs> I mean, it didn't take long. And they're still seeing everything happening on the mountain. I've said it before, and you're going to hear me say it a million times. Seeing is not believing. Seeing is not believing. So whenever we, we are, are witnessing with somebody, hey, can, am I ever going to see God? When You know, if I could see him, I would believe. No, you wouldn't. Because if we look at the scripture, how many times did Israel see and then not believe? They believed what they saw, but it didn't that it didn't spark that faith in them that 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 would mean that they would have a deep and meaningful uh, relationship with God. They they looked at what they saw and they couldn't deny it. So uh, that was their um, their level of belief. Verse fifteen. Then Moses went 
up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So now we see the powerful picture of Moses uh, going into the cloud, into the presence of the Lord. And um, the sight of the glory of the Lord, it says, was like a consuming fire. And the children of Israel were seeing another awesome display of God's presence and power. And uh, God, God had uh, called Moses into his presence. And, um, and we'll see here what ends up happening um, where we pick up in chapter 25 uh, next week. And, and uh, that's the last section of Exodus. And uh, it will um, shift to the design, construction, and dedication of the temple of the uh, tabernacle, which is a portable temple uh, for them, and uh, those chapters ahead are going to have a lot of um, spiritual truth and practical lessons for us uh, as we go through them. Um, but w- what we end chapter twenty-four here with is God calling Moses to uh, into His presence, which is a powerful thing when we consider that God does the same for us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That God wants us to come near to him. So God is calling Moses to him. Uh, he has a special um, uh, a special mission for Moses' life and a special plan for Moses as the leader of Israel. And he's calling him in. And he's going to give him all the instructions for the tabernacle. But what a wonderful thing to end that chapter with God calling us near. You know, that 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 calling us near. Now, I, I talked about that young man sharing and, and what he was trying to do. He was trying to explain um, that, uh, you, you know, when, when there was the opposite, there were all kinds of weird oppositions and nobody really had ears to hear. Um, but he was very quick to share with them that, Look, guys, I was just like you. I was afar from God. And he was reading to them from 1 Corinthians 6, where it leads or it lists all the people that will not enter uh, into the kingdom of heaven. And he says, guys, I was right there with you. Those that are partying, you know, homosexuals, people that are stealing, people that are drinking, people, all these things that it says. And he says, of such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were cleansed. There's the newness in Christ that God draws us out of those things and near to him. Those, that's, the, that's the beauty of the gospel. That we don't serve a God that just says, oh, you messed up. See you later. Because there would be zero people in heaven <laughs> without his grace and mercy. Nobody. <laughs> but because he desires us to be able to come near to him. Uh, in Christ, as it says in Ephesians 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Everybody. Everybody. So the gospel is for all sinners. And for us to be able to share uh, with anybody that we're, uh, that we're in uh, contact with, that God is opening a door, that we would share that uh, and be able to say, no, God wants us to come near to him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you are so gracious and uh, 
loving, Lord, that your grace and mercy are available to us sinners. We thank you for your word. We ask, God, that we would apply it to our lives, that we would understand you more, know you more, and walk closer with you as a result of our study tonight. Thank you for this time and this fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Grace and peace to you guys. Have a great night.